Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. It's a beautiful day outside. And the deer are moving either because people are shooting at them or because it's the weather. It's a little bit chilly. Have you seen deer moving? Yeah, yeah we've, we've uh, had a few. Uh, opening day of hunting season for me, I won't see anything, but right now when it's youth season... So we've been working our way through Matthew. I moved through Matthew faster than I moved through Romans chapter 12, which was about a six-month process. And some people complain that I could make more out of three words, love must be sincere, actually, for than anybody they'd ever met. So I'll take that as a congratulations. I was in a revival one time, and my uncle, the really heavy guy with one leg because he ate too much chicken and diabetes, and so they had to amputate his leg. Remember that story? Anyway, he scared the hell out of me always, uh, and I mean that in every way possible, but he preached a revival on... Some of you try to keep up, would you? <laughs> That's what ADD means. ADD means try to keep up. Um, he preached a revival one time on the word so. God so loved the world. That was his, his whole revival, preaching on the word so. And all I remember is I couldn't, for some reason, get my nap in. Um, this, I'm supposed to nap when they have revival, because if I can nap through the altar call, then I won't have to feel bad. I won't feel guilty. I won't feel shame. I won't feel like I'm being beat up. I'm just a kid. So uh, you'll pick up my bias against that because I want us to be about grace and love and kindness and hope. Now, of course, there's such a thing as sin. There's, of course, there's such a thing as eternal separation from God and all those things. But I don't see Jesus, and we, wanna, we want to be like Jesus, I think. I don't see Jesus saying, raise your hands. I don't see the Apostle Paul saying, come down in front. We don't see that. It's a construct that we have created out of a style that came out of England, that came over here, uh, that is not necessarily a global style. Now, the Africans are doing it a lot these days because they've, they've adopted our style. They've been educated here in the West, and I'm, I'm thankful that Africa now has good Bible teaching to take back to Africa, but they have adopted that high-pressure style of the gospel. We don't have a high-pressure style of Jesus. The ruler comes to Jesus says, what must I do? He says, ah, sell everything you have, so on and so forth. And the rich young ruler says, I've kept the law. And Jesus says, yeah, okay, well, here's what you got to do. And the guy leaves. And Jesus lets him go. Jesus doesn't babysit people. Some of you babysit people. Some of you take care of people. Some of you make sure everybody feels good about you. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He didn't make them feel bad intentionally. He just spoke the truth and let it sit. I want to be like that. we got a long way to go. So now we come to Matthew. We're done, thank goodness, with our personality studies of Ruth, Tamar, Bathsheba, Rahab, or, or um, um, 
yeah, Rahab, Mary, and then John the Baptist last week. Did you enjoy John the Baptist? Right, I thought that was really um, interesting myself. Otherwise, I wouldn't have given it. So here we, we're done with our uh, character study, if you will. We're skipping backwards to Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. Jesus is up in Galilee, which is up north, and he comes down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It's proper for us to do this this to fulfill all righteousness. John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led into the, by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I just want to stop. We've read that verse so many times, it's so easy to miss it. Jesus was led by the Spirit to a lonely, harsh place to be tempted by the devil. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to introduce the kingdom of God next week. Blessed are those who mourn. And we're going to have an economic reversal of everything these folks, and even us potentially, Hold dear, and Jesus is going to turn it on its head and say, this is the kingdom of God. And like I said in my Facebook Live this morning, if we can get a grasp on the kingdom of God, we have a grasp on all of the Gospels and Paul's and, and the rest of the epistles. We, we can read the Gospels through that lens right there. Because John came announcing the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that awesome? And so we have this confounding process starting. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And to us, that makes no sense. Jesus saves us from the devil. He doesn't lead us to And I will tell you again that there is something about, and hear me carefully, people. We don't go create our own falls. But there is something about not falling out of grace. You've heard that? She fell out of grace. There's something about falling into grace that is critically important, particularly for our leaders. Peter had a tremendous fall. Dr. Congdon, I was reminded of my brother from Saudi Arabia, Dr. Congren from Multnomah School of the Bible back in uh, the early 70s when I was, middle 70s when I was there, said great men have great falls. There's something that's really critical about taking Jesus right to the point, being led by the Spirit to the point of you can step over or you can stay 
God is in the business in part of showing us who we are so that he can show us who he is. Unless we see who we are, we really don't ever see him. And that's why I say so often, you need to know your story. If you don't know the major themes of your story, how in the world do you know, or how in the world will I know how my story fits into the grand story that God has been writing since history began? And we wonder what our purpose is, and we feel purposeless because we don't know how we fit into the story of God's scheme of things. Me, in part, and I say this to help you, I'm an emancipator. I help set people free. Now, don't, please, I say that really humbly and almost with fear. I'd rather you didn't know it. Because then it could be my own private little agenda. But as I look back on my life and say, what are the themes of my 20 to 25? What are the themes of my early 30s? What are the themes of my 40s? Among other things, I am always setting people free. It seems to be what I do. I have to face it. I have to step into that, name it, own it, and then take care of it, steward it. I'm an emancipator. Your pastor emancipator he wants you to be free of religion of yourself of any addictions that you have and usually by the way the keys are in our own pocket all we got to do is reach in our, and unlock ourselves what's your part that's one of my st- parts of my story but what's your part of of the grand scheme and the overarching theme of Scripture. In 2018, in Atoka, God's up to a lot of things. He's up to creation. He's up to redemption. He's up to uh, uh, reconciliation. He's up to restoring. He's The work of Jesus goes on of ransoming. And we got this little guy, Mark, there, emancipating. And we got Clay doing his stuff. We got and we fit the story so that when it's told in the, tw- in the year 2100, you got a line in that book. Because you know what you did. Jesus knows what he did. I want to I get on with this because this is so... awesome. There are several apexes in history. Creation, fall, another apex where history takes another corner in in Abraham and Isaac. And then history takes another corner at Jesus. Here, history takes a corner. And for you theological nerds out there, I want to tell you that the baptism of Jesus is very important Because it's one of the only times, few times, we see in Scripture very plainly where the the Trinity makes itself, shows itself, appears in one place at one time. Isn't that awesome? The Father from heaven speaks in an audible voice. Oh, the Spirit comes down appearing like a dove. Whoa. 
and Jesus incarnate in human form in the water. The Trinity, one place in one time. And I think you'll get excited about this when you understand why. History, in terms of Israel, their Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, God had been silent for 400 years about from Malachi. And the first time he's going to speak publicly is here. This is it. The skies have been silent. There's no temple. There's no Shekinah glory. There's no fire at night and cloud in the daytime. Israel's lost. They're being tormented by the Pharisees, tormented by the the Romans, tormented by the Sadducees, and, and they don't know which way to turn. And then the zealots are killing people, and the common Jewish person running around Palestine in these days was really lost. And out in the desert, we have Jesus go to John the Baptist, and we have the Spirit coming down like a dove. But God chooses that moment to penetrate human history, to break into our worlds. And he didn't come in saying, hey, you're messing up. Hey, you're not doing it right. Hey, we need to feed the poor. Hey, we need to write these laws. We need to take over. He spoke to himself. Who else is he going to speak to, really? Remember, God in history past is a perfect community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equal, all God, different personalities, moving in such harmony that they are like one. If you've seen one, you've seen all of them. Right? It's like triplets, if you will. So God chooses to speak to himself. And he parts the skies. He rips open the heavens, according to the text. The heavens open. God speaks to the third part of the Trinity. This is my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. All right, let's take another angle. Let's say that Jesus, we got this huddle in heaven. All right, Father, what's the plan? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's develop this thing. Remember, perfect community, not dictatorship. All right, got it? Everybody break. All right, so here we go. Jesus is about, he's been baptized now. He's, he's about to go off on his, his ministry. And here's the huddle in heaven. I, I can see it now. All right, Holy Spirit, Jesus is down there. So remember the game plan. He's got to... Go to the desert, he's got to work a few miracles, turn the water into wine, and then, and then progress up. He's got to tell some stories and some parables. Then he's going to head to Rome, they're going to kill him, and then we're going to raise him. Then we got it there for the next few days, and then he'll join us back in heaven after he appears to a few. Got it? That's our plan. All right, so we're going to split the skies on, on go, and because Jesus is getting baptized, that whole thing's setting up. Whoa, it's happening a little early. Three, two, ready, Go. Hi, Jesus. 
Holy Spirit and the Father here, don't mess it up. We've planned this for years. You know what to do. you got to do it. And the first thing is this temptation in the wilderness. It's going to be hard, but don't fail. I'm not kidding you. If you fail, we're going to haul you before the elders and do church discipline. <laughs> Jesus, we need to have you in prayer about this. So get on your knees and pray so you can be strong. It's a huge temptation, so you've got to have huge prayer. Jesus, don't mess this up. Try not to suck. But he didn't say that. So I ask us quietly, fathers, what do we say to our sons and daughters when we send them off by themselves to face a great challenge? Is our message, don't screw up, because you'll embarrass the family. We've talked about this. Don't mess it up. There's a place for that. Or do we do what the God of the cosmos did with the Son? Now, mind you, this is the most important act that has ever taken place in all of history as far as humanity is concerned. The redemption of humanity. The most important thing that the Godhead is going to do with regard to showing his love for us, paying the price, the eternal sacrifice, and God says, what he says astounds me. Or maybe it's the most powerful thing that he could have said. Maybe it's the most powerful thing that he could have said. You give someone an identity. You give someone the assurance that they're loved. And you give them not only, I love you, son, now get out of my face. But you give them the assurance that you thrill me. That's the most powerful words that could ever be spoken. Don't you think that God would have the most powerful things possible to Jesus as he's going on the most profound mission of his earthly reign? I think this is pretty incredible. My own father. Three times that, that come to mind as I was preparing my message this morning, there were three times in particular that he had a huge impact on me. He had never really seen our wilderness camping program that I was instrumental in starting. One day I invited him along for a whitewater rafting trip on the Suattle River. It's a wild and scenic river in the northwest corner of the northwest state. It flows out of the Glacier Peak Wilderness Area full of log jams, full of class 4 and class 5 uh, whitewater. Uh, has has holes on it called suffocator and all uh, other holes that are, are really dangerous. At one particular 90-degree corner in the river, you get up ahead of steam and at certain water levels, take your boat up this rock, call your crew to do a huge left turn, hope none of them have fallen into the boat, huge left turn, and drop down into a massive class 5 hole. Awesome! <laughs> 
So my dad goes on a trip with me. He sees all the work that we do. He sees my staff. I don't think he ever realized that we had a staff. He sees these beautiful boats, and he went in my boat, and I guided my father at about age 27. All ahead, stroke, stroke, stroke. Back on the left, half a stroke, please. Back again, half a stroke, please. Forward on the right, three strokes. Go, all ahead, stroke, stroke. Go hard, back left, hard left. It's whitewater guiding right there. And when it's all over, Pat your crew on the back. Everybody's wet. It's, it's a fun little party. Well, Dad was on that boat, and at, at the end of that trip, we were uh, coming home, and Dad says, I didn't really fully realize what you've built here, Mark, but congratulations. This is a good thing. Then we got to talking, and he began thinking of my family and some other things, and he said, Mark, you're further ahead in your life now than I was when I was your age. I was so desperate for those kinds of words from my father that I can remember them now 40 years later. Another time we were on a hunting trip and um, dad spoke affirmation into my life as we sat around the campfire. My dad smoked a pipe ever since I can remember. And in the wintertime, all the, all the windows are closed and the doors are closed and the smoke would come down in the house. Do you remember that? Have you ever been in a smoking house? And when my mom would get up to go to the kitchen or, or whatever she did, she'd make a path and the smoke would swirl behind her like this. The things you remember as a child. So I thought that was part of growing up. So I figured out how to get a pipe and I got some tobacco and yes, this is church and like you don't do whatever you do. And so my dad lights up his, his pipe. And I'm just fear and trembling because my buddies told me how his, his thing went. And so I got out my pipe and I said, Daddy, do you mind if I have a smoke with you? And he's like, whoa. So he says, you got any tobacco? I said, yeah, I got some here. So he says, hand it over and he smells it. And he says, gosh, that's kind of dry. So he hands me his, right? Important. This is important symbolism here for a son. He hands me his tobacco. And uh, he says, you got a lighter? And I said, yeah. So I got that thing going. And I will tell you that that hunting trip at Clip Chuck Campground outside of Winthrop, Washington, smoking peace pipes with my father at 27 years old, changed my life. And I'm talking about it here today. Because in a small way, he said, son, you thrill me in that small way. And I don't smoke a pipe now without thinking of my dad and smiling, right? Thank you, dad. Not for the pipe, right? It's not anything to do with that. It's about connection. Now, my mother was a biblical moralist. <laughs> so she would have shut that down right away. And guess what? I wasn't ever close to my mom. Because she was a moralist. She was more interested in proper behavior and morality than she was in connectedness until later on in her life. The third time in the hospital, my dad was dying. We all knew it. And uh, he said something that hurt me, and I think he knew it. You could see my face drop. And uh, he, it was, in truth, a misunderstanding. And he took me into, uh, he got up, and with the back of his gown open, right? And we walked down the hall, and I'm embarrassed about old dad just 
going down the hall here, and then I'm like, get over it. And I'm pushing one of his things, and pushing one of his things. And we go down, and, and we get in a room here. And they let, it, they let him smoke in that room, in the hospital, in those days. So he lit up his pipe. That's how you know it's going to be a good conversation. Then he banged his pipe out. That's how you know it's going to even be a better conversation. And he says, son, I want to apologize to you for what I said to you yesterday. He said, I am extremely, extremely proud of you. I'm going to need you to take care of my mom or of your mom once I'm gone. And I want you to know I am proud of you. The father speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I loved and whom I'm well pleased. Some of you have never heard those words from your father. Take an idea that to raise tough kids, we meet, need to beat them up. I will tell you that Athens eventually beat Sparta because Athens used gymnastics, music, and art before the study of war. Sparta raised mean kids who eventually had nothing to fight for. They knew how to fight, but they had no heart. And the Athenian states gave their kids heart, gave them love, gave them beauty, then taught them war. And they were eventually, eventually. We think that we make our tits, kids tough by withholding affection because we're scared to death of mama's boy. God the Father in heaven is not worried about a mama's boy with Jesus. And he boldly, with as much gentle macho as the Father in heaven has, which is more than any of us has. So I love you, son. Got it? You thrill me. We've never heard those words. Dad, if you're afraid to, to say those words, maybe it's because you never heard them and you don't know how to say them. I, I beg of you, give it a try soon. If you've never heard those words, then probably you are dependent on other people to affirm you. So the, the guy at the grocery store has to be nice to you because you aren't affirmed. So Jesus goes into the desert, and our time is almost up here. Uh, Jesus goes into the desert, and he knows three things. He knows his name. He knows who he is, right? It's my son. He knows he's loved, and he knows that he thrills the Father. And with that, he goes in to face the biggest challenge he will ever face. With that. If Jesus needed to be prepared in that way, how much more do my kids need to be prepared in a similar way? It might require more courage for us to tell our sons we love them and they thrill us. And that might really be the issue. It's not about making a tough son. It's about our fear of being vulnerable. But I want to encourage us today. God the Father was not afraid of being vulnerable. This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. With that, 
Jesus, you have everything you need. Go do your temptation. Because the son who knows who he is doesn't need to prove anything to his buddies. I don't need to prove anything to you guys. My dad loves me, and I'm good. Y'all go be stupid. I'm good. I don't have to prove it. A son who knows he's loved, a daughter who knows they're loved, doesn't fall for the, the basketball player junior when she's a freshman at college because she already knows she's loved. She knows what it looks like, and she sees that there's something different here, and she doesn't fall for it. Because she knows she's loved, and that looks different than what I know. I'm not falling for it. young boy or a young girl or a young man or me who knows that they thrill their parent. They don't irritate their parent. They don't drive their parent crazy. They don't disappoint their parent because they didn't turn out to get the right job. They don't make enough money. They're whatever. They married the wrong person. But a person who knows that they thrill their parents can go into any battle, any temptation, any war, strong. Win or lose, they're okay. They've got an identity. They know they're loved. They know they thrill their parents. And that's what we have, God the Father. That's a great model for us as parents, by the way. God the Father's words to Jesus. At the most critical time in his life, when he could have really told him what to do, do, he instead told him who he was. Because a man or a woman who knows who they are figure out what to do. A person who knows who they are can figure out what to do. But a person who knows the right thing to do and always tries to do the right thing will never figure out who they are. We have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit interacting, and Jesus needed something. If you can imagine that, he needed something, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit gave him to him. You're my son, whom I love, and I'm well pleased. He announced it to the universe, and he announced it to us right now. I hope that encourages you folks. I hope that encourages you folks. Because Jesus was going to be to turn stones into bread. And if Jesus needed to prove something, he would have done that. To prove he's powerful. He's going to be asked to climb to a high tower, throw himself off. And he could have done that to prove he's powerful, to shut Satan down. He's going to be asked to overlook the regions of the earth and be offered ownership of it all. He's going to turn it down. The man already knows who he is. He doesn't have to prove anything. He can relax and trust his father. Live, die, rich, poor, doesn't matter. I know I'm loved. I'm okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never heard those words, the father is speaking those words to each of you right now. You're one of his. He loves you. And he's thrilled with you right now. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. 
Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the freedom that you give us in Jesus. Father, I want to ask that you'd somehow, in spite of me even, let these words sink in. Remind us that we're loved. Remind us that we're yours. And Father, whether we believe it or not, it's true. We thrill you. Thank you for these words. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you all next week. Thanks for being here. Uh, God loves you. You know that? And you thrill him. And you shake your head and go, I don't think so. You know what I'm doing right now? Yes, God knows what you're doing right now. And you still thrill him. All right, I'll be quiet because I'm starting into next week. Thank you all.